Welcome back to another chapter of To Honesty and Comeuppance, an Attack on Titan fanfiction written by yours truly, Tolstoy Ackerman. You can find this fanfiction by clicking on the link in my profile, which will take you to all of my works hosted on AO3, or by going directly to AO3 and searching for the title of this fic, or for my pen name, Tolstoy Ackerman, two words. Standard disclaimer, I do not own Attack on Titan, I only own the original characters here within, and this is entirely non-for-profit. Thanks for coming back for another chapter. Without further ado, let's get into chapter 27. Chapter 27, A Word Once Sent Levi procured the key and undid the shackles that bound them. Himmel gave a big stretch now that she could move all of her limbs freely without tugging on his arm, flooded with relief. However, beneath the elation was an undercurrent of confusion. Commander Ervin, it's an honor to be made a captain, but I'm not sure I've earned it, she said. She has yet to complete a single mission without disobeying orders or acting on her own, Levi said. She completed all of the supply runs excellently, Ervin said. Even if she was in the cadet corps at the time, those were actual missions. The courage and dedication she displayed during those was submitted as key evidence of her innocence yesterday, and since graduating from the cadet corps, she has yet to participate in a standard mission. She's proven herself flexible, cunning, and capable of making difficult decisions, exactly the kind of person we need to help replenish the ranks. Himmel had a hard time agreeing with Ervin's last statement. She skewered hearts on pikes outside her warehouses, dumped buckets of blood on the homes of the people she marked, and made it a point never to leave witnesses. She was messy. Himmel wanted to think that the people leading humanity into the unknown could do so without turning themselves into devils like her. Levi didn't have anything to retort, though he crossed his arms and his scowl didn't go away. Himmel stood and saluted both Ervin and Pixis. You'll still be under Levi, though, Ervin said. You're not ready to be given your own team. This was heartening, and Himmel relaxed back into her seat. The fear that she would be separated from him had been almost as immediate as the relief she'd felt when she learned she wasn't going to be executed. The four of them fell into a light conversation regarding the mundane and the military until Hanji arrived with Connie. It was apparent from Hanji's windswept hair that they had ridden directly here, and their grave expression, coupled with Connie's stricken, stiff posture, painted a dark picture of what they had seen at Ragako. Ervin, Commander Pixis, Hanji said, saluting. I completed the second survey of Ragako Village. This is Connie Springer, member of the 104th and former resident of the village in question. He confirms that the deformed female titan is resting in his home and bears a striking resemblance to his mother. Before Himmel even realized what she was doing, she had gotten to her feet, crossed the room, and put an arm around Connie's waist to pull him into a comforting embrace. She could feel his entire body trembling tight as a bowstring, resisting the urge to loose the arrow, and her touch didn't soften him, but he allowed her to bring him close. He didn't want to crumple in front of these men and women that he looked up to. Hanji continued, We haven't confirmed it yet, but it appears as though titans are created from humans. From the very instant Connie had spoken of Ragako village to her in the wagon on the way back from Utgard, Himmel had feared what it meant to the point that she forced herself not to think about it. But of course, if Eden and Reiner and the others could change into intelligent titans, it meant that humans could become titans under certain circumstances. The questions were exactly what circumstances, and whether there was a way to remove the human from the titan within. But Himmel had hacked through enough titans by now to know that there were no humans in the ones that were outside the walls. Levi looked more shaken than she'd ever seen him. So what? Are you telling me I've been flying around like a madman, slaughtering humans this whole time? 
I said we haven't confirmed it yet, Hanji said. She could hear Connie swallow in the thick quiet of the room. For him, at least, it was an undeniable truth. Behind his back, he clutched a small painting of his family, knuckles ready to burst out of his skin. Where are you going after this? Himmel asked. I'm returning to my study to compile the reports. Connie is free to do as he pleases. Himmel squeezed him to her side. I'll walk with you back to your quarters. Let's go have dinner with everyone. Sure, he said, as though he hadn't been listening. Return here when you're done, Ervin told her. She nodded and went to leave with Connie while Hanji remained in the room with the others for a while longer. The moment they entered the hallway, she pulled away from him so he wouldn't be embarrassed, but her level of concern grew with each stride. Out of all of the cadets, Connie had gone with her on the most supply runs. He wasn't always the brightest, but he compensated with his optimism and deep care for everyone on the team. He was often outshined by others, and compared to do-gooders like Historia and Armin, it was easy to overlook just how big and beautiful his heart was. Of course, the bigger someone's heart was, the easier it was to hurt. I'm sorry, I kind of just decided I was going to come with you without making sure you actually wanted me to. Do you want to be alone? She said. No, I appreciate it. Here was yet another situation where she felt out of her depth. Himmel didn't like how often she found herself in them recently. She knew how to comfort someone when a loved one passed, and how to distract someone from pain. But how did Connie view it? Did he think that his mother was still somewhere inside that titan, or had he decided that she was gone? He was a sweet, idealistic person. No doubt even right now, he was trying to think of ways to turn that monster back into his mother. Tell you what, Himmel said, let's gather everyone up and go to a tavern. I want something other than the shitty stew they always serve in the mess halls. My treat. I don't think getting drunk will fix anything, Connie said. She laughed and looped her arm around his. <laughs> and that makes you smarter than the majority of people. I just thought a change of scenery would be nice. Are you sure you want to treat everyone? You haven't forgotten Sasha, have you? The slightest hint of amusement was in his voice now. Oh, that's a good point. It'll have to be an innkeeper that owes me a favor. Remember the last time I snuck us out of the cadet barracks and she ate three whole plates of chicken? I wept. It wasn't you who wept. That innkeeper looked like you'd killed his favorite cat. Himmel chuckled. <laughs> Don't worry. I went back afterwards and did a favor for him to make up for it. Favor? Yeah. I do a favor for an innkeeper and we become friends. He does a favor for me, and then I'm obligated to do another favor for him. That's the circle of life. So what favor did you do for him to erase that ridiculous tab? His cousin had a rat problem that I snuck out one night to take care of, Himmel lied. I know this one tavern that has this private room. It'll be great. They have really nice pork sausages, too. She may not have been forthcoming about the favors she did, and she hated that she couldn't tell him the actual reason she had this particular inn in mind. Himmel hadn't had a chance to speak to Nathaniel and the others heading her operation since before Trost. While correspondence from them was meant to be sent to her in the Survey Corps, her location had changed so frequently that she wasn't sure couriers had actually been able to deliver the letters. If sending them to her proved impossible, they were to take them to a particular innkeeper in Stohess that owed the Sabakia a favor so great he would be repaying her for the rest of his life. Connie went back to his room to put away the portrait and clean himself up from the long day while she went round knocking on doors down the hallway to gather everyone else. All of the 104th had been put on the same floor, it appeared. Sasha pulled her into a hug upon seeing her, but then panicked that maybe she'd hurt Himmel's stitches by yanking her so suddenly. Jean rolled his eyes and looked put upon, but said he'd be ready in a few minutes. 
When she knocked on the next door, she was met with Armin, who looked as though he hadn't slept much in the past few days. His usually exuberant expression was dull, and when he saw Himmel, he frowned. Himmel, maybe now's not... Eren barreled past Armin like a wrathful fireball and threw a right hook so strong into Himmel's cheek that she reeled back and felt a couple of the stitches in her neck rip with emotion. You! he snarled. Mikasa was right behind him, seething with a frosty rage. That she didn't have her blades equipped reassured Himmel slightly. Himmel put her hands up in a plaintive gesture as she coughed and rasped, I deserved that. You deserve ten times more, Eren said. Why the fuck did you do that? If you hadn't kidnapped me, I could have fought them. We could have beat them. You put Eren and all of us in so much danger, Mikasa said. Himmel had known this was coming. Eren always wanted to fight. Mikasa always wanted to protect him. And Himmel's decisions yesterday had kept the both of them from doing what they were supposed to do. It was a stroke of sheer luck that Eren's strange punch had saved them all on the battlefield yesterday. If not for that, it was likely that all of them would be dead now. I did. You're right, Himmel said. I'm sorry. When Reiner confessed who he and Bertolt were, I knew I had only seconds to decide what to do. And maybe it wasn't the right decision. Levi doesn't think it was right either. But Commander Ervin did. There was a tribunal for me, and they were considering executing me, but they decided my actions were... not the worst possible. Not the worst possible? Eden shouted, cocking back another fist. Do you have any idea how many people died because of you? Hanesan! Eden, Armin said, expression pained. What the fuck were you even thinking? You cut off my arm and leg when you could have helped me transform quicker. In the middle of the forest, when we were surrounded by titans and had the armored, colossal, and Ymir against us? Eden, that would have been suicide, Himmel said. I really am sorry for what happened. I didn't want anyone to die. But the moment Reiner told us who he was, you had to have known that yesterday was going to end drenched in someone's blood. I just tried to buy us time for reinforcements and a chance to get some information out of them. The way I did it was dirty, and I'm not proud of it. The fact of the matter was that every last one of Himmel's tactics was underhanded. Subterfuge and dishonesty were the only way to rule the Undercity solo, and it was the sole method of survival that she knew. That hadn't really bothered her when she was alone, but now that people she considered family were learning who she really was, shame bloomed, black and fetid inside her. Jean and Connie had joined them, and now everyone was watching Eden and Himmel, panicking that a brawl would break out in the hall. Eden, Jean said, brows pulled together in consternation. We get why you're angry, but if you and Mikasa and everyone else hadn't been on death's door and you weren't absolutely desperate, do you think you could have taken control of the Titans? Eden froze, shock bursting across his features as his arm slackened. I'm not going to say that all those deaths were worth it, because I don't think anything is, Jean continued. But if it's true that you can manipulate titans, you could change everything. Instead of getting pissed off with Himmel because she made you feel powerless, you should get your shit together and find a way to make use of the powers that you do have. Make those deaths worth something. Himmel watched as Jean's words blew away Eden's rage. Slowly, he lowered his fist to stare down at it. There was still an undertone of anger in his voice, but it was cooling and hardening into resolve. You're right. I have to use this to control the Titans. I'll find a way. Mikasa, meanwhile, was still thunderous. She remembered each and every person that had posed a threat to Eden, and never let her guard down around them again. Perhaps in time, Himmel could win back Eden's trust, but she sensed that the bond between her and Mikasa had been gravely damaged yesterday. Was that why Mikasa had seen her dying on the battlefield and rode straight past her? 
At the time, Himmel had thought Mikasa had ignored her because retrieving Eren was the top priority. Now, though, as she saw the unveiled hatred in Mikasa's eyes, Himmel began to wonder if it had been a choice. This revelation hurt, even if she understood Mikasa's logic. Sasha summoned enough courage to break the turbulent silence. With a nervous laugh, she patted Eren and Jean on the shoulders and said, Come on, let's all go have dinner. I'm starving. Sasha offered them all the normalcy that they frantically sought, and they latched upon it, some more readily than others. Yeah, where's this place you're going to take us? Connie asked Himmel. Himmel cleared her throat and said, It's in upside Stohess, just a few blocks from here. They've got the best grog upside. You'll love the food, too. The best grog upside? So where's the best in the Undercity? Jean asked. That would be Yorick's, hands down. His is the best brew in all of humanity. You ought to take us there, then, Sasha said. Himmel smiled despite herself as she tried to imagine these kids, most of whom had never seen the Undercity, sitting among Yorick's usual clientele. I don't know if you'd survive, so we'll settle for Horace's today. Don't tell Horace I said Yorick's is better, though. It'll hurt his feelings. She led them out of the barracks and down the lantern-lit streets to the inn. It was a cozy-looking three-story building of stone, with all the windows and doors thrown open to invite the breeze and customers in on this hot summer night. Laughter and merriment spilled out onto the street, and for a moment Himmel wondered if bringing them to a place so full of cheer was poor judgment. They had so very little to feel happy about, and while sometimes it helped to drown yourself in what you were lacking, other times all you managed to do was fill your lungs with it and sink to the depths, never to return. It was far too late to change her mind, though, so she headed inside. Horace, a man about the same age as Himmel, with a large, intimidating frame and a resting face that was nothing short of demonic, split his mouth into a wide, yellow-toothed grin the moment he saw her. He rushed around the bar, spreading his arms in elation. "'Sister, what a surprise! And you changed your hair!' Himmel leapt up into his embrace, wrapping her arms around his neck hard to whisper, "'The kids don't know. I need my letters.' Then she rasped, "'I missed you. Do you like it?' He set her back on her feet, still looking as if she had reminded him that today was his birthday, as she twirled and all of her many braids swirled with her. During the several hours she'd sat chained to Levi today, she'd managed to braid every last one of her curls, and they trailed to her mid-calf. Horace said, "'There's nothing that doesn't suit you. Right, let me throw out whoever's in the room.' To the right of the entrance was a long wall that created a private room large enough to seat about ten people, with windows on the west and north sides. It was a great place to do business upside when the occasion called for it, and it was one of the reasons that Himmel had gone to great lengths to persuade the previous owner to give it to her, so that she could then give it to Horace, with the promise that he would let her come and go as she pleased. The other reason, of course, was its proximity to the Survey Corps barracks and the informants she had there. Horace opened the door to the room and said in a voice that boomed like cannon fire, Out! The people inside complained, and Horace said, Either you walk out or you crawl out. Your choice. They chose to walk. You didn't tell us you had a brother, Armin said. Or that he's a mountain, or that he's terrifying, Sasha squeaked. Horace waved them in with a smile that looked more like a snarl, and Himmel patted him on a burly arm and led the rest of the team in to sit around the oval booth. Keep the food coming, especially those sausages. Beer, too, but I'll have the usual. He gave her a little two-fingered salute and clicked the door shut behind him. He's not actually my brother, Himmel said. We're just good friends. Why are you friends with someone who looks so murderous, Connie said. Captain Levi is her other best friend, so it's not exactly a surprise, Eden said. Horace returned shortly with six mugs of beer and one more that was steaming. 
On the tray, as well, was a stack of letters so large it was nearly as tall as the steins, bound together with a piece of twine. "'The whole family's been wanting to know how you are since you joined the Survey Corps,' Horace said, passing her a few pieces of blank paper and a pen as well. "'Apparently,' she said, taking the drink and papers. Even considering what had happened in Undercity Trust, she hadn't expected this volume. Was there a new gang giving them problems? Had the MPs finally decided to interfere? Was everyone all right? She forced aside her brewing concern and took the steaming mug into her hand as everyone else took theirs. It had been over three years since she'd last been able to have her favorite drink, and she was so excited that she nearly forgot to say a toast. She raised her glass and said, To sunshine and violets. To sunshine and violets, they said back, having gone to inns with her on enough occasions to get used to her strange undercity toasts. Himmel gripped the mug by the rim so she could nudge up her bandana as she lifted the drink to her mouth and took a long pull. She sighed as the hot, spiced cider ran down her aching throat, its burn as soothing as it was painful. Levi would have a fit if he knew she was subjecting her injury to this, no doubt. Why violets, anyways? Jean asked. Hmm? Violets. Why are they so important? You guys don't even have grass down there, let alone flowers. Himmel cocked a brow at him for his condescending tone. Violets can survive just about anything. They represent the hardiness of the citizens of the Undercity, as well as the sky. And besides, they're pretty. So that's why they're in flower shops, Armin said. I always wondered, since you can find them almost anywhere there's grass. We use them for funerals, Himmel said. You give your loved ones a piece of the sky to take with them. Beside her, Sasha leaned over to peer into Himmel's mug and said, Why is there a stewed apple in yours? Because this is wassail. I thought it might do my throat some good. Can I try some? Himmel passed her mug to Sasha, who took a generous sip and then coughed, clutching her own throat in agony. Why would you think hot acid would help? she gagged. What are you talking about? This is the best brew upside, Himmel objected, taking a deep drink for emphasis. The burn is one of the best parts, and when you're done, you have an apple. It's like a whole meal in a mug. A last meal, maybe. If even Sasha can't stomach it, I don't think it should be legal to give to people. Himmel rolled her eyes, and they fell into a surprisingly light, joking conversation that was mostly at her and Sasha's expense. The stack of letters sat in front of her demanding her attention, but she did her best to ignore them. The horseshoe booth and long table were made to seat ten at a time, and with only the seven of them, the empty spaces at the far end made them think of all the people that, had yesterday not happened, would be drinking with them right now. It burned more than the alcohol. She kept the conversation from falling into a lull until Horace came in with two platters piled high with tremendous amounts of food. Though he was always generous with her, she hadn't expected quite a fancy affair. All manner of vegetables, sausages, chicken, and even some thin slices of beef were spread out before them. "'You outdo yourself,' she said. "'Your tab's been collecting dust for three years. I'm just making up for lost time. Holler if you need anything else.' She wrapped her knuckles on the table twice in thanks. On her other side, Armin sat, looking amazed at the selection of food before them. Sasha was unabashedly drooling, and even Mikasa looked somewhat stunned. Himmel, why is he so nice to you? Armin asked. This is the sort of food they eat in Mitras. Everyone was doling food onto their plates and digging in. Himmel, who had already eaten, was content with her drink and stewed apple within, which she jabbed with a fork. I did Horace a favor. Now he's repaying it, she said. What kind of favor? That's how you said you got the house in Mitras, too, Armin said. You did a man a big favor. Himmel didn't want to have this conversation. 
still whipped with guilt from realizing the harm she had caused Levi by lying to him for so long, as well as struggling against the bewildering pain that came with knowing Bertolt and Reiner's hidden identities, she was no longer comfortable lying to the 104th about who she was. She loved each and every one of them, and though Horace and her jokingly referred to one another as siblings, only these seven and Historia did she think of as her own flesh and blood. The truth of her existence felt like a cannonball hanging from her neck. She didn't want to break them like Reiner and Annie and Bertolt had. She didn't want to put them through any more pain. She wished that she could say the truth as plainly as she could say her own name, right here, right now. Until yesterday, when she had been forced to feel the impact of secret lives and lurid crimes revealed, she hadn't felt any guilt about concealing that she was a Sabakia. It went against her interests for them to know. Upsiders like them saw the Sabakia as a savage, opportunistic killer who robbed merchants and killed nobles seemingly at random. They didn't understand the complexity of her life's work. They couldn't see that for every ten warehouse guards she killed, she was able to feed a hundred starving mouths. They couldn't see that for every noble with a clandestine taste for the filthy that she slaughtered, a handful of children on the streets were safe. And ultimately, other than Eden and Mikasa, none of them had ever taken a life. They all still thought that each human life was equal. They hadn't realized that a set of scales rested in the hands of every single person young and old, rich and poor, pure and evil, and each one would return a different measure when the same person was weighed. Himmel could see the hairline cracks in their smiles, and their laughter was sparse and brittle. Each and every one of them was battling against the torment they'd suffered ever since Trost, and yesterday had brought them to the very brink of shattering. The only thing holding them together right now was a trust born of hope, hope that there was no one else among them wearing a mask. She wasn't ready to tell them, and they weren't ready to be told. The house in Mitras, she said, was given to me by a resident who found himself the target of some nasty people. I made them decide to stop attempting to collect from him, and he rewarded me with the house. Collect? If he was in debt, why didn't he just sell the house, Mikasa said. Well, not everyone's after money. These people, they wanted this man's livelihood. And no, I'm not telling you what it was, because he deserves anonymity. Suffice it to say, it would have been a huge issue for him, and for just about everyone else if these people got a hold of it. This was as close to the truth as she could get. Shortly before she and Levi took over them, the Fifteens had learned the name of the man who owned the mines up in Nedley, and Scar had decided that they should steal ownership of the mine from him so they could eternally reap profits. Scar's plan was horrid. He hadn't taken the MPs into account at all. There was no way in hell that the government would allow anyone other than a noble to possess a piece of land so essential to the military and economy. At first, Himmel and Levi had decided to sit back and let the MPs do their job for a change and hopefully stamp out the Fifteens in the process. However, when they learned that the noble in question had some rather salacious information that could be used against him, Himmel had blackmailed the man with the following promise. I will eliminate the fifteens and keep your secret, but in exchange, you will give me a house, and fifty percent of your employees will be from the Undercity from here on out. He kept his promise, and Himmel kept hers. And what about Horace? What favor did you do for him? Connie said. Himmel paused. Actually, it's the other way around. He did me the favor. He let me lay low when I got into some trouble. Saved my life. So I got him this in. Are you some incognito real estate broker or something? Jean said through a mouthful of chicken. A house in Mitras, a house in Stohes, now an inn in Stohes? How many properties do you have? The inn belongs to Horace. None of the places are in my name, actually. But it used to be a little over two dozen. It's less now that Walmaria is gone. All of them gaped at her. 
Ever since Wall Maria had fallen, there was such an intense shortage of property that some people joined the military only so they could call the barracks home. Others found ways to get themselves thrown into prison, and others wandered down into the Undercity. The prices for homes, even the smallest and most dilapidated, were exorbitant. To have purchased a house was a feat in and of itself. Even the wealthiest nobles didn't have as much property as Himmel. "'Are you rich?' Sasha asked. Himmel laughed. <laughs> "'I'm penniless, other than my survey corps pay, same as you.' This was also true. She had left the Undercity to join the cadet corps with nothing but her swords, her knife, and the clothes on her back. She only had coin on her when she knew it would be needed, and most places she went to would sooner die than charge her. "'Are they all safe houses?' Edin asked. "'Mostly.' Himmel didn't want to talk much more about this. A safe house ceased being a safe house the moment someone else knew about it, after all. Anyways, a large amount of the properties were more for hiding goods than they were for hiding people. She had various stockpiles all over humanity to aid her in just about any crisis foreseeable, and she intended to keep their locations and inventories a secret from everyone. She hadn't even shared this information with the three she'd handed her operations over to, for fear of what could happen if any of the cachets fell into the wrong hands. Levi only knew of a couple of the oldest ones. He thought that hoarding was a distasteful hobby, and preferred that they fence everything they could and dispose of what they couldn't. Himmel shifted the topic to something far away from her career, and Jean, who was still the only one of the 104th that, who had figured out who she really was, gave her a concerted look for a moment before rolling with her. Only a few weeks ago he had been down in Undercity Trost with her, and seen what being the Sabakia truly entailed. He knew that she wasn't just a crazy murderer, and that was likely the only reason that he stayed complicit in her desire to hide her identity. Though, she sensed that at some point in the near future he would confront her. Secrets had become a poison to them all. It was a pleasant meal that lasted for a couple hours, and after everyone had their fill of food and drink, except for Sasha, who was the Ma in human form, they yawned and decided to head back to the barracks. Himmel gave Horace another big hug and thanked him. He welcomed them to come back soon, and they left. Himmel said goodnight to everyone and took her stack of letters up to Ervin's quarters. Inside, Ervin was sitting up in bed, reading a book. Levi sat beside him, looking bored. What took you so long? he demanded. I went to Horace's. You took the brats to Undercity Ermich? No, he's got an inn just a few blocks from here now. You never noticed him? Levi's already narrow eyes narrowed further. And I'm sure it's sheer coincidence that your second favorite innkeep came to own an inn upside just close enough the Survey Corps men would visit and blab. Ervin looked up from his book, intrigued by their conversation. Is that how you found out all that information about us? She gave a nervous laugh. <laughs> Horace is an upstanding citizen. I wanted to thank him for his help over the years by getting him a nice inn upside, and it just so happened that one went up for sale when I had a windfall. The previous owner was arrested for possession of goods stolen from a noble family, Ervin recalled. It was close to the barracks, so it caused a stir. Mel, Levi growled, fully familiar with exactly what scheme she'd pulled. She put up her hands beseechingly. It was a decade ago. Horace runs the inn better than that loser did, and you have no hard evidence that I was responsible for it. Ervin appeared fascinated to learn of her felonies. So this is how you extended your net of intelligence upside. You put allies up top. I won't give you a list of names, she said. The corners of his lips twitched into the smallest of smiles. Your business is your own. I do find it odd that the commander of the Survey Corps is willing to let me continue running my operations unhindered, Himmel said, taking a seat beside Levi with the letters on her lap. It's unfortunate that the Undercity has been ignored by the bureaucrats for so long that your people need someone willing to fight and kill for them. 
I don't begrudge you for doing what you have to to keep people alive. Himmel smiled as she undid the twine bundling the correspondence together. What do you think about what Hanji said earlier? Levi asked her suddenly. She opened up the letter at the bottom, the oldest one, an explanation of the situation in Undercity Trust immediately after the disaster. So many people had died agonizing slow deaths, and almost nothing could have been done. The Titans come from humans? She hummed. It doesn't change anything for me. But what if we can change them back? Levi said. You can tame a bear, too, but it's much more likely just to maul you. A threat is a threat, no matter what form it takes, and if they really are humans, I'd like to think we're putting them out of their misery. He made a furious ch and jerked his head away so he didn't have to look at her. Himmel had known he wouldn't like her view on it, but she wasn't going to lie just to make him feel better. In a perfect world, yes, they would corral the titans and attempt to understand and tame them, but they didn't have the time or the resources or the foolish optimism necessary for such an endeavor. Killing them was quicker, safer, and beneficial to all. It was that simple. Levi wasn't idealistic enough to think that they should stop killing titans, nor was he dumb enough to think that they had the luxury to catch and study them deeper. Reiner and Bertolt may have returned to their hometown, but they would be back. However, Levi had never liked killing people. He was a gentle soul wrapped in barbed wire. When necessary, he could turn himself into the most formidable weapon known, he could bind and gag all emotions that would get in the way, and he could eliminate any threat. Afterwards, the disgust and remorse would slice into him, though. He didn't mourn the death of the person he had killed, because he only took a life if he had a good reason. Instead, he thought of the spouse and children and friends of the dead person and loathed himself for robbing them. When Himmel had heard that Levi had left the Undercity to join the Survey Corps, she had been terrified that he would die outside the walls, but on the other hand, she had been happy that he had found an occupation that no longer involved murder. His titan kill count had once been something to be proud of, but now it only labeled him as the most talented butcher ever to exist. She put a warm hand on his shoulder, and he bucked it off, just as she had expected he would. Still, he had felt her sympathy. At length, Levi said, Horace writes you all those love letters? If only the contents were that rosy, Himmel said ruefully. These are mostly from Nathaniel. Trost was a fucking shitshow. They had to dump corpses into the maw for five days straight, and it still wasn't enough. Sickness started spreading. Tainted water and corpse rot. Three raids for medical supplies ended poorly. God damn it. I should have left the medical aid to someone else and just kept stealing for two days straight. Fuck. While she had been in the special operations base flirting with Levi, her people had been suffering. It was utterly inexcusable. You can't be everywhere at once, Levi said. Besides, even if you had been down there the whole time, the scale of destruction was too great for you to handle. Don't beat yourself up over it. She appreciated his words and realized that they were logical, but they didn't make her feel any better. Himmel opened up one letter after another, parsing the cipher and cant at lightning speeds. Undercity Trost had become a truly cursed place that no one would step foot in. Annie and Eden's rampage through Stohess had caused rocks to fall from the cave ceiling, which had led to more casualties, but nothing near as terrible as Trost. Nathaniel, Vanessa, and Robert had been able to handle it well. Other than those two things, it was mostly business as usual, lists of heists carried out and goods obtained, where they were stored and dispersed, reports on the movements of upstart gangs and methods of suppression, human traffickers caught and made an example of. Himmel took heart in the normalcy within the majority of these letters until her eyes scanned across two words that caused her entire body to still. Farrier needed. Hastily, she ripped open the next envelope. Farrier still needed. The next. 
farrier needed, one limping. Another, a week old, farrier needed, infection sitting in. The most recent, from yesterday, farrier needed, whole stable lame. Dread and hysteria mounted with each letter to weigh as much as the walls, compressing her chest so she couldn't breathe. She had to go to the Undercity immediately to resolve this, before everything she'd built was blown apart and her people hurt. Himmel rose to her feet so abruptly that both men looked up at her in surprise. I have business, she said. And thus closes the chapter. Thanks for coming back for another listen. Um, I hope that you guys enjoyed this. And this was kind of the setup where fish. I said we were going to get into season three in this chapter. I lied. Um, this was the setup leading into season three. Sorry about that. Next chapter is officially season three business. Um, so yeah. Um, so the chapter title, A Word Once Sent, is a quote from Horace, the leading Roman lyric poet during the time of Augustus. And the full quote is, A word once sent abroad flies irrevocably. So something I did with all of the innkeeps, there's, there's not a lot because I try not to introduce too many OCs into the story, and if I do, I, I keep them minor because we're all here for the canon characters and, and the canon events, right? So I do my best to keep them to a very limited number, but anyways, whenever there's an innkeep, they're always named after a classical um, poet from back in the time. I don't know why I decided to do that, I just started doing that. So we've got Horace, um, Yorick, um, Epi is short for Epicurean as well, so Epicurious, so, um, who hasn't appeared yet, but will appear in much later chapters, briefly. So, yeah, that's just a little, uh, extra tidbit that you only know if you listen to the Podfic version and you listen to this. So, thanks again for tuning in. If you liked what you listened to, feel free to pop into AO3 and leave me a comment. Thanks again. I'll see you soon. Bye-bye.